Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays week, everyone. Yeah, it is a uh, it is a fun-filled holiday week here. Uh, we skipped last week just because of holiday travel and all that. Um, would have liked to get a signing day episode in, but instead we're going to talk a little bit about that this week along with just kind of where Syracuse basketball is on the season. Um, obviously, for those listening, um, you'll be listening to this on Thursday. Um, Syracuse won last night slash tonight for Dan and I um, against Eastern Michigan. The, uh, the vaunted Eagles 2-3 zone, as, uh, as we came to find out for, uh, for much of the night. Um, Dan, we'll talk a little bit of basketball, I think, more in the second half of the podcast, but... Do you find the fact that Syracuse is struggling to score against zones to be troubling, disturbing? Any other uh, any other adjective you'd want to throw out there? Um, unsurprising. Uh, Syracuse has struggled to score against zones a lot recently, um, and considering that this team has so little shooting, um, really does not have a go-to shooter from outside. Obviously, Battle is the guy, but he's not a great three-point shooter. Makes it very unsurprising to me that this team struggles as it does in zone. Um, now, I think the one upside of that is that there are not that many teams that rely on the zone or will even break out a zone at all. So, and not, not that Syracuse is, you know, knocking the doors down against man-to-man teams either offense, but I don't know how much zone we'll realistically see once we get into ACC play. I'm sure um, Duke will employ uh, use theirs a little bit, and uh, we'll see it from a couple other teams, but it's not like a huge weapon in the arsenal of too many teams. Um, so, you know, this is one of those games that you'll, you know, one of the rare games on anyone's schedule uh, where you'll see a zone team with a, that, that's their primary defense because obviously Rob Murphy is a Bayheim uh, acolyte. So, um, yeah, definitely can't say I was overly surprised. And, I, and, and to be uh, fully transparent, I drove back from my home in Connecticut to the city, so I did not actually see the second half. It looks like we fared better than the 24-24 first half and, and, like, the couple of glimpses I got before I actually left my house after that. But, uh Overall, like, yeah, zones are going to give us problems all year. Hopefully we don't run into too many teams that actually use them effectively. Yeah, agreed. Um, I know the one team that seems like they've used a decent amount of zone in recent years in ACC play uh, would be Duke. However, I don't necessarily think that uh, the Blue Devils have the uh, defensive chops to to probably do it to the effect that uh, that some others have. I know at the same time, though, like, it feels like Buffalo maybe did a little bit of it. I feel like EMU obviously has the ability to do more of it because of uh, who their coach is. Um, you're definitely seeing more zone around the country now. I think us moving to the uh, ACC really helped kind of grow it out. And obviously when you see, um, you know, more kind of zone-focused assistance from Bayheim uh, around college basketball, that helps, um, you know, between Louis Orr at Georgetown as an assistant uh, Mike Hopkins, obviously, is the, the head coach at Washington. Rob Murphy at EMU. I feel like people are seeing more zone, um, even if it's not 100% of the time. does mean, at least for some teams, that they're a little more prepared for it. I think in the ACC, you're seeing teams a little more prepared for it now than they were when we first got to the conference. Now, part of that is also, you know, some of the recent teams haven't been as good as some of our earlier teams uh, that were in the ACC. But nonetheless, I think uh, the more teams throw any sort of zone at us, um, or any sort with any sort of competence, um, that's probably gonna gonna frustrate us a little bit. Um, though tonight, and again for listeners, yesterday, um, I think the second half and, and that stretch where um, you know we really kind of put distance between us and the Eagles. Uh, we played really lockdown defense, um, similar to what we've done in some other second half comebacks this season. Um, and then did enough on offense to, uh, to kind of, you know, broaden the gap. I, I, I said this on Twitter. I think if we can play 30 minutes of defense like that per game, even 25 really, um, and 10 minutes of offense like that, um, if they coincide, I, I think that we, uh, we, we should look pretty good this year in a lot of games. Yeah, I'm really not worried about the defense. There have been lapses. Um, but even, like, obviously losing to St. Bonaventure really sucks. But that defensive effort in the second half against a pretty good Bonnie's team that'll, you know, at least be a, a – a real contender to make the tournament this year was, was incredible. Now the fact that the offense couldn't take advantage and, and, and win the thing in, in regulation was unfortunate, but I think the defense, we can all be pretty, pretty happy about overall. Like this team, even when it, you know, you're not going to play a, four, a 40 minute perfect game and that you're, there's a five minute 
stretch in every game pretty much where the other team gets hot and, and that's just basketball. But um, overall, especially in second halves, this defense is really clamped down. Um, we've gotten some really nice play out of uh, Pastel Chukwu, especially tonight with five blocks. I think he had two like right off the bat. Um, he grabbed 12 boards. Um, it looks like some teams have started to eat into our rebounding a little bit. That's kind of waned a bit uh, in recent games. I think the Bonnies were pretty close in that um, without having the stats up. Yeah. I think it looked pretty um, good tonight and without, again, without having the stats right in front of me. Yeah, we, we uh, rebounded EMU by eight, so that's good. Um, but yeah, the offense is going to be a, a work in progress all year. Um, we really need more out of, I mean, the problem is like Matt Moyers had some really nice games, especially that UConn game. And he's a good energy guy, but he's just doesn't have the, the developed offensive game yet where you can rely on him to do anything in the half court aside from when Howard finds him, uh, flying over from the wing on, on guarded and gets, you know, those big dunks, which are great. But tonight, you know, he went storeless and, and, uh, Howard Washington clearly isn't ready to be a, a huge contributor yet. And, and, uh, Merrick will, you know, occasionally get some putbacks and, you know, similar, to Moyer, where he's going to get some some second chance points and whatnot. Battle's great, and Battle had a nice game. You know, 22 points and 15 shots, pretty efficient. Um, made his free throws. Uh, uh, you know, started to down the blast a little bit more than he has at other points this year. Um, I feel like O'Shea Brissett, like he's obviously for a freshman, he's having a, a great season. I feel like in an ideal world, he'd be what like CJ Fair was as a freshman, where he's you know playing 20 to 25 minutes, and you know there was nice where he's huge, but he doesn't need to be the number two option every night. And that's unfortunately the spot where we've thrust him into. Um, and you've seen his efficiency suffer for it. Um, now the fact that he's a, you know, double, double more likes than not is great. But, um, you know, I think, I think Brissette and Howard uh, on a, on a classic, you know, strong Syracuse team would be like the fourth and fifth options. And unfortunately there are our second and third options and it's pretty, you know, there's not there's a huge gap between them and, you know, a hot Moyer, or, you know, Chuku had a really nice game tonight, but I don't expect 15 and 12 from him all that often. No. Um, so it, that, there's going to be troubles on the offensive end all season, um, zone or man or whatever we face. Um, so you got to hope that they, you know, battle can keep on being this consistent. Obviously, he had a couple down games uh, after a really hot start. Um, and hope that, you know, they can keep on grinding out because I, I don't think we're going to have too many, like, super high-powered pretty wins this year. I think it's going to be a lot of uh, dead periods on offense and, hoping that the defense to put together a huge half and, and just scraping at other things at the end. Um, luckily, the team has, has grit and, and has shown that it knows how to, uh, more often than not at least, uh, squeak out a game late. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's a good thing because it's going to be something that they have to do. Yeah, and I think just in general, the, the second half play has been encouraging. Like last year, it was, it was encouraging, but it wasn't as strong because obviously it was led by the offense, not the defense. Um, I, I think, you know, you're looking more at like two years ago when it was led by defense that then created offense, but there were offensive players that were able to take advantage of that. I, I think that, you know, you, you look at how that translates to ACC play, um, there, there, there's some bad in there and that there, there are going to be better players, um, on a lot of our ACC, ACC opponents teams, but, um, you look around the, the, the league, it seems like there's a lot of teams that really can't play, uh, too well on offense. Um, I would say Duke and Boston College are, are two exceptions, but you know you look at teams like Georgia Tech, uh, Wake, Pitt, um, to name a few uh, schools that just really can't um, you know put the ball in the net um, as easily. I think you know it's not to say that that you know that that guarantees victory for Syracuse, but um, it certainly helps when when, when teams aren't going to shoot well because that's obviously helped us you know in a lot of these recent games. I mean, even St. Bonaventure, a team that does shoot pretty well. Um, really kind of struggled in that second half as SU's defense clamped down. So I like to see, I like to see, admittedly, and I think a lot of fans will probably agree with this. I know we've talked about it in the comments a bit. I like to see a, a young team that's defensively focused over a team that a young team that's offensively focused because you saw like what happened with, um, you know, probably like the oh, the 2007-2008 team um, was a young team that was very offensively focused, and all that did was. Um, you know, just lead to these, not blowouts necessarily, but just really kind of like these ugly in a high-scoring way games that you just kind of were waiting for the other shoe to drop until, you know, their shots stopped falling because um, they weren't going to stop anybody on the other end of the court. Um, this team, on the other hand, the, the defense is able to to really kind of pull things together, keep things tight, um, and then just open up an opportunity for whether it's, you know, a, a consistent 
game from battle um, or a surprise performance from someone like Howard or, or Brissett or, or in tonight's case, you know, Chukwu really taking advantage of the position that um, Eastern Michigan put him in. I mean, what EMU did tonight was, um, you know, focus on the wings, um, really, really test everybody on the perimeter and see if Syracuse could create something inside um, for the first probably half or so. Um, SU really wasn't able to do much um, inside uh, then, you know, they were able to find Chukwu, especially when they saw that, you know, the Eagles were going to ignore him. And Chukwu, you know, actually delivered on on some of the promise there. He easily left, you know, another five to seven points on, on the floor. Um, and he's not the only guy who did. I, I think that, you know, it's it's a rarity of the team that's just going to forget about your center, um, especially a guy who's seven to two, um, like, like Chukwu is. But um, if Syracuse can, can look at an offensive strategy that, you know, really takes advantage of either it's Chukwu or, or you know, a cutting Moyer um, or, or Marek Dolzai, like any, anybody like that, uh, if they can find a way to take advantage of them, even if it's to like six to eight points, um, to me, I'd say we're going to fare a lot better than, you know, as we've seen in recent games, trying to rely solely on, um, on battle, you know, scoring 25 to 30. Yeah, to put a bow on it, I think overall, now that we are officially done with non-conference play, yeah, I was looking to see if we had a, a random... Uh, not Howard Steam stuck in between some of the first AC games, but we do not. Um, overall, I think you take, uh, what are we now, 11-2? and two? Uh, And honestly, like, the two losses, I think you could make a real argument that they are against the, and this is, I'm not at all trying to troll George Henry UConn. I think you can make a very compelling argument that we lost the two best teams that we played in the non-conference slate. Yeah, I, I, I doubt you'd find many folks trying to argue with that. Um, like maybe UConn and St. Bonnie's. I mean, we don't really know what Georgetown is. I think they they had a deep tonight. They didn't look very good in, if I remember correctly. They looked very good, um, and then they didn't because they gave up a thirteen point lead to uh, to Butler. Did they lose? Yes, they did. Yeah. Okay, so they lost a two by Butler. Like, there are worse things that have happened, but um. So we'll see what Georgetown is. UConn, I don't think is very good, and the Bonnies, like honestly, I I would bet on them being a tournament team this year. Um, obviously, they'll have to win their conference, but we, we've seen them crash the tournament a number of times in recent seasons, and, and this could easily be one of those. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, overall, if we had you know gone into the year, I think I would have signed for 11-2. and two. Um, I don't think that I would have assumed that one of those losses was St. Bonaventure, but um, i probably rather – I'm happy having the Georgetown UConn wins under my belt for, for sure, uh, even though obviously the Bonnies are a local team and have, like, a weird, like, Big brother, very, very little brother uh, mentality with Syracuse, but that's fine. I'm, I'm not too worried about that. So, uh, as annoying as I was to watch on, uh, you know, the days leading up to Christmas. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you hate to see those winning streaks uh, come to an end against you know in-state opponents, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not really, I'm not really that like concerned by it. I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt us at the end of the day unless the bonnies fall apart. I mean. We've seen losses like this before, and sometimes they go the opposite way, though. I know uh, freshman year, um, a game that many will probably remember, a, uh, Syracuse came back from about 24 down against Wichita State, a team that was ranked at the time. Um, Demetrius Nichols missed a dunk. SU ended up losing by a couple, I think. Um, I forgot what the final score exactly was. But at the time, loss seemed like it was you know respectable, whatever. And then by the end of the season, uh, Wichita State finished like 500. Um, and it was uh, it ended up being a, a major major black eye um, for Syracuse's schedule and, and and its relative strength and resume and all that. Um, so hopefully we don't see that again with something like Saint Bonaventure. My freshman year we had the Cleveland State seventy uh, two foot three pointer to win the game. I do recall uh, at the dome, um, and see, Cleveland State ended up being like a fourteen seed that year. So that honestly wasn't uh, that was I think our only non conference loss, and it was our our only home non-conference loss for like a long time. Yeah. So um, I think I, we might've actually won every home non-conference game the rest of my time at SU. Uh, so hopefully it's more of that and less of the Wichita state game. And in, in, uh, sits, I think it was. Yeah. hundred um, percent. So I guess talking a little bit about the ACC now that we're heading into ACC play. Um, Dan, a lot of teams are very good. Um, only a couple teams have poor records. I know I mentioned three of them before, um, we face all of them. Uh, we face two of them twice. Um, just looking at the standings, who's the worst team in the ACC um, this year, in, in your opinion? Um, I haven't really followed how they've done recently, but Pitt, maybe? Uh, they're 8-5. and five. I have the standings up. Um, I know Georgia Tech's under 500, but I feel like they've had a more, a more difficult schedule, and they've had some issues with like 
Josh Okogie was out for a bit, and they've had, you know, this weird uh, potential NCAA stuff hovering over them. Um, Pitt has lost to West Virginia, Oklahoma State, which are fine, Penn State by, like, 30, which, you know, Penn State is slowly gotten better over the last couple of years, but they're still, you know, Penn State basketball. And then they lost their first two games of the year to Navy and Montana. Um, so I feel pretty confident in that Pitt's trash. Um, well, that's that's, that's a given. That, that's a given anytime. Yes, even when they're good, even when they're good, they're trash. <laughs> um, like they're they're the, the best pit teams were trash teams. Like like as an adjective describing their play style, if not their play quality. Um, Georgia Tech uh, lost at Rambling, uh, Wofford, which is not great. They got blown out. These are kind of similar, honestly. Um, they pretty struggled similar. against like, Coppin State tonight. Yes, I see that now. They pulled away and won by fourteen. Uh, they lost to Wright State. Um, so these two were pretty bad. I thought Georgia Tech would actually be better. They had some decent returning players. Yeah, Ben um, Lammers, I, mean, they... I thought, was one of the better big men returning in the league. Yeah, he's having, like, a weird year. He's only averaging 12.2 and, and 8, which are fine, but, like, wasn't he more... I mean, whatever his numbers last year, I think they were... Uh, better. Not better. They were 14 and fourteen and 9, so his numbers are, are pretty down across the board, honestly. The only thing he's, he's getting more of are steals, and that's not what you're really looking for from him. Um, he's shooting a worse percentage from the field as well. Um... Okogi is uh, averaging 20 points a game, and Tetra Jackson, I think, is back, but he's only played, Okogi's only played in three games. Tetra Jackson's played in eight, and he's at 15. He's, like, one of their second or third best player. So, like, they've had some guys missing, which isn't great, but that doesn't seem to explain, you know, why you lose to Wright State and uh, whoever else they've lost to this year. 100%. Um, if you so, look yeah, they're at, both pretty bad. Well, if you look at Ben Lammers, like, and, and, you know, this isn't to, like, rake everybody over the calls, but, like, you know, he's a classic case of, like, why you don't necessarily need to come back. Like, why it's not always the best decision. I don't know that he would have been an NBA guy either way, but maybe, eh, like... I, I, I felt like he was sort of, like, a fringe, like, second-round guy. And yeah, now I don't know other, if he ends up on the radar. Yeah, probably not. I think the other school that you would put in there is Wake Forest, who was very disappointing to start the year. They lost to Georgia State, or Georgia Southern, rather, sorry. Uh, I know that's a very contentious thing. Um, <laughs> Georgia Southern, GS, not GSU. Um, and then they lost to Liberty and Drake. They were 0-3 to start the year. They bounced back a little bit. Um, they've gotten wins over Illinois, and I think Richmond's pretty bad this year, but Richmond's sometimes not bad. So they don't have a great win. Illinois is their best win. I don't know how Illinois is supposed to be. And then they recently lost to Tennessee, who looks quite good, uh, by almost 20. So... Wake um, at seven and five also looks pretty bad. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a basement in this conference. I do not think we are in it. Um, I hope that we do not fall into it. But overall, like I think you know, losing to Kansas by a bunch and then losing to Bonaventure in overtime by three, um, not that bad considering what those teams have looked like this year. Yeah, I I, I would say we're definitely clear of that um, line. What's going to be interesting though is 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 kind of. You know, now that we have what looks like an actual basement, and I feel like it's not just a one-team, you know, party of, of Boston College like it usually is. Um, seeing like kind of a three-team basement this year um, should change the you know, the makeup of, of of our schedule in particular, considering we face two of those teams twice each. Um, it should change the overall kind of tenor of, of how things you know start to roll out um, as the schedule starts taking hold for the entire conference since. Um, it's not that these are gimme games necessarily, but they're far more gimme games than they used to be, or at least were in the last few years. Um, so again, it'll be interesting to see that. It'll also be interesting to see, you know, kind of how many teams in that next tier um, could potentially fall into here by the end of the year. Um, looking at Syracuse is in that conversation for now. Um, I think Clemson, Louisville, um, NC State um, are all in that conversation um, as kind of, you know, that, that third tier in, in the conference. Probably, I'd say I'd consider that third tier um, in Boston College. Um, so maybe actually no, that that's probably the second tier. I apologize. Um, that like very large second tier that I just named, like who falls into that basement? Because um, at least a few of them probably end up there, even if they're not nearly as bad as uh, as the Pitts and Wakes and Georgia Techs of the world. Yeah, I think you might see a tier like between them. Uh, kind of rise up where you know maybe Syracuse falls um, hopefully Syracuse climbs its way into like the back of the top half of the ACC which is usually pretty safe for a tournament bid yeah I mean last year we were what eighth ninth uh, I don't remember where we ended up in the we were I know league. we were in the eight nine game I just forgot which one we were uh, I want to say I want to say eight because we beat Miami during the season yeah we had like it was a weird jumble in the middle right uh, yeah if I remember correctly yeah that sounds right um but I'm looking for 
All good. last year's ACC basketball standings, which are not the easiest things to find. Here we go. We were actually behind Miami. We were nine. Because yeah. I think I, we were we were tied. We had a ten and eight tie with Miami and Virginia Tech, and I think they, that means they did it by common opponents or or whatever the record between those like that triumvirate was, oh, yeah. or whatever they do that. Um, so I think we were we slotted in at at, uh, at ninth, and there was like a chance I think in the last like I think I remember down the stretch there was like a chance of us like stealing six uh, if we had won I think that George Tech game and we failed to do so. So uh, unfortunately, I mean this tournament. <laughs> probably because of that game and, you know, a handful of others. And that was, like, one of those late ones that we, we really needed and, and did not get, considering George Depp was 8-10. Agreed, agreed. Um, so I guess before we hit halftime, um, one other question I have for you. Like, who, who is your top three in this conference right now? Obviously, four team, well, five teams are ranked. Um, and then there's a bunch of others that are, you know, already at the 10 or 11 win plateau. Um, but who are your top three teams um, that you see going into conference play? Um, I think I still like Duke. Uh, I mean, not not like a hot take there. They're twelve and one. I know they have that loss of BC, but BC looks pretty good. As much shit as we've given them in this on this podcast, uh, even like recently, um, Duke's just super talented. Um, I think they have definite weaknesses, and I don't think they're a slam dunk in terms of like winning the tournament or going even far in the tournament. Um, defensively, as they have been a lot recently, uh, they're not great. They they don't shoot the ball super well. But they're just so athletic, and they have, obviously, Grayson Allen, who's as experienced as you'll get in uh, college basketball these days. Um, they should just continue getting better. They have five legit scorers who, uh, you know, are over 10 points a game. Um, Badly is just a, a freak. Um, so I, I think Duke will be right there. Um, I think uh, outside of them, um, Miami's been very impressive. I, I, I know they suffered their first loss the other night to uh, – uh, they lost to an unranked team. Um, they lost to NF, New Mexico uh, New State, State yeah. uh, which is weird. But New Mexico State's, you know, often pretty feisty. And, and you know, this is college basketball. These these things happen. Um, they won at a very very good Minnesota team. Um, they they just look they're super talented as well. Now who knows what happens with the NCAA here because they are one of the teams uh, that is getting looked at in that regard, um, and that could get dicey. Uh, although usually these things kind of sort themselves out not in the middle of the season. I know Louisville uh, was a different issue, but they also had like a prostitute scandal, so you know things were a little little different with that. Um, but I, if Miami doesn't have something from their interfere, I think they could be uh, pretty strong. Um, and then Virginia looks like Virginia. Virginia's, uh, you know, they, they're rolling along as a program at this point. Uh, every year you think that they've lost, you know, a Joe Harris or a Malcolm Brogdon, and you think that's they're going to take a big step back. And no, they're eleven and one, and they're beating teams forty to twenty, and and everything's right in the world in, in Charlottesville. Yeah, I've been impressed with how Virginia's played thus far, and I think it's you know good for them from a program-building perspective uh, to be able to kind of take this sort of, um, you know, not attrition, but just take the, the sort of personnel turnover that just comes naturally at the college game and, and uh, kind of roll with the punches these past few years. Um, you know, Virginia does recruit well. They don't recruit at, like, a, a hyper-elite level, um, and yet they still manage because of the system. Um you know, to get a lot out of players. And there are people leaving early, which is, which right. is you know, helps. If you if you know the four-year guys you're getting. Uh, and also Kyle Guy cut his man bun and uh, is now their leading scorer. So I think those two things go hand in hand. I, I think they're very much correlated. I guess for me, if I'm going to look at my own top three, uh, I think have to agree that Duke is probably your number one, even if their defense is bad. Um, I'd say let's just see how they improve on the defensive front over the course of the season. Um, I would slot in Miami number two from a talent perspective. And then, like you said, um, as long as they don't end up getting caught up in any sort of, you know, Adidas FBI scandal, I think that they'll they'll end up being in the top three or so in the ACC um, and in line for maybe a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, other team that I would put in there um, is North Carolina. I feel like North Carolina has some hiccups to work out, but I think overall they're probably a better team than Virginia um, and will be at the end of the season. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they have looked like it right now. Um, Virginia's probably right outside. I'd put them at number four. Um, but yeah, I think there's a really strong top four here. We'll see on Florida State. I'm still kind of playing wait and see with them. 
Um, but I think there's a very strong and, and top four that all should be in line for, you know, top four seed in the NCAAs. Yeah, I think UNC was like the clear other option I had there. I'm, I, I still question Luke May as superstar. I think, you know, he's been great so far. You know, it's funny to watch him go from like, you know, a guy who you almost thought would be a, a trivia answer uh, to, you know, maybe the best player on the team this year. <laughs> um, I think Joel Berry probably still do that too at this point. Um, but overall, you know, they haven't looked, they haven't, they haven't looked great every night, but, you know, UNC is a pretty reliable slot and uh they have some veterans so they'll be right there I would, nothing nothing would surprise me with those top four um i think that that they look i'd say a good amount ahead of the rest of the pack here agreed agreed um also right. is wofford just good like wofford just eating act teams this year i what is wofford's record right now i think we, I think we, we slept on picking wofford in our uh they're eight and four hmm. they lost to south Carolina by 21. South Carolina is not good this year. They lost like everyone from their team last year. Yeah. Um, they lost at Cal by 14, which fine. Right. They lost to Texas Tech by 23, yes. and they lost to UNC Asheville by 20. So like they have some blowout losses against some questionable teams, but they've beaten UNC. They beat Georgia Tech. Uh, you know who's not good, but you know you still take it if you're Wofford. Um, they beat North Florida, who's often you know a contender for their league almost every year. Um, so yeah, uh, they haven't played since a UNC game. Um, I kind of think maybe they're a fluke, but like picking up two ACC wins in the same year for a, for a Southern conference team ever is like a pretty big deal. I think. Yeah. Way to go. Wofford. They're the Terriers. If I remember correctly. Yes. They're a cute dog mascot. Way to go. Terriers. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit of beer before we jump back into football. I know we ended up reversing the order, but, uh, but these things happen. Uh, so I was in the South, uh, in Atlanta, the Atlanta area. Um, unfortunately, uh, don't have a huge beer drinking family. Uh, they brought a six pack of Blue Moon uh, on the first day I was there, and we're very <laughs> excited about it. And I was like, "Oh, thanks, guys. That's yeah, awesome." Throw it in the uh, trash. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, you know, when I was nineteen, would have really enjoyed that, but uh, I didn't even have any of it. My brother, I think, drank most of it. Um, so I ended up drinking mostly wine. I did get. Uh, some Sweetwater 420, which is always, you know, rock solid if you are in the South. Um, it's almost like Goose Island around here where, like, if generally, if even if a place does not have a great beer menu, you can probably find a Sweetwater. Right. And that's just, you know, you're, it's it's not going to blow you away, but it's just a really solid, strong beer. Yeah. Um, Same with Sierra also, Nevada here. Yeah, Sierra Nevada is another one of them. Um, you almost, like, sleep on them because they're so widely available. But, like, there's nothing wrong with drinking a Sierra Nevada or a Goose Island or a Sweetwater. Um, and then the one that I did have... Uh, when we went out to dinner, uh, one of the nights, a couple nights before Christmas, I had an OTP uh, from Gate City Brewing, which is in one of the Atlanta suburbs, um, which is uh, a double IPA, and that was quite quite good, um, pretty hoppy. Um, I, I enjoyed it, so that was my my one f- uh, foray into the Atlanta craft scene. Uh, so I enjoyed that at least, and then I drank a lot of red wine, and my parent, my family does know wine, so that was good. Nice. Uh, yeah, I guess since we skipped last week, I can track back a little bit more. Um, let's see. I had from Brewery Tarot and Jester King, I had Buffon. It was a sour from them. It was really refreshing, which I know is like not the first word you probably use about brewery and Brewery Tarot stuff, but it really worked. Um, I also had the breweries, uh, So Happens It's Tuesday with coffee. Um, kind of a lesser version of their Black Tuesday, um, bourbon barrel aged stout, coffee in that one. Had uh, from Mumford Brewing around here, uh, Meth, their IPA, and oh, I had City of the Sun from Modern Times. Sorry, I was trying to stop my computer from deciding to shut down the recording for some reason. Um, Main Beer Company, as I've mentioned before, occasionally gets out here. Um, so another one, one of their IPAs, um, was on draft at a spot I was at last week. So managed to... Uh, Hop for one of those. When I was down in Orange County for the holidays, um, hit up Chat and Crafted, place in Orange uh, that I'm a big fan of. Had their uh, crisscross uh, single IPA, um, New England style, and then also had Bouncing Opposites, their double IPA, um, also New England style IPA um, that they had. Um, I had from another one from Mumford. I had Redefine. They had a it's a Keller beer. It was uh, it was pretty good. Again, just refreshing end of night kind of deal. Um, then I had Fathom IPA from Ballast Point. Um, that was what I was drinking most of the uh, the time on Christmas and Christmas Eve. And then I stopped over at the brewery yesterday, had a couple different things from them. 
Um, they had a uh, this fruit beer, it was kind of like a barley wine called uh, Bake This uh, Apple Pie Again, and it was a uh, it was very much like an apple pie. And it was interesting. Had a sour in the rye with pineapple and coconut that was uh, like a sour pina colada. Had strawberry pie that was again a very interesting sour ale from them. Had some Black Tuesday with port, oh Black Tuesday port barrel, sorry. Um, I have a couple bottles of that hanging around here. And then uh, the brewery's uh, IPA kind of brand they have called Offshoot Beer. Um, they had this uh, this IPA called Hold My Beer uh, that was pretty good. And yeah, that was my uh, that was my drinking for the last you know week and a half, two weeks. I'm going to Philadelphia for a day on Friday, and I hopefully will be able to stop by at least one or two breweries while I'm in the area. And sorry, that was about to have my seat going. Um, <laughs> but... So hopefully I can uh, grab some there. I plan on doing a couple of the breweries in that area, at least for like a beer or two. Um, so that should be good. Do report back. Um, uh, as always. <laughs> so I guess we can talk a little bit about um, National Signing Day here. I know it was like a week ago for everybody at this point, but um, still worth talking about You know who signed early um, and maybe some of the players that we still have out there. Um, I know the biggest surprise for everybody um, should have been, uh, you know, Texas quarterback Chance Amy um, signing. Instead, we ended up with the less exciting surprise of uh, Tyrone Sampson not signing and decommitting, which is not not great. I'm I'm not sitting here thinking he's going to show up in February. I'm just not waiting for it at this point. Um, even though it seems like Indiana and Cincinnati are our biggest competition. That just kind of sucks. Um, but I do think that this class is still pretty good even without him. I, again, do wish he was coming. I do think it kind of sucks to see, um, you know, what looked like a really, really strong commitment kind of fall apart at the last second. But uh, we still have a lot of really great kids. There's, um, you know, we do have another four-star offensive lineman too. I think that, that helps us. But we really do need that help at center. Um, so I'm hoping this doesn't become a trend uh, going forward. But again, looking at you know this group where you know three different players that, that signed with SU uh, last week um, have a four star rating in at least one site. Um, I, I think that uh, I think that we're in good hands going forward. Yeah, losing Samson's tough. He was like one of the uh, crown jewels of this class, and, and based on you know the things, just based on how it fell apart, like on the beginning of the early signing period. Um, you know, not to go into like whatever rumors are out there on the internet or reports that are behind paywalls, but um, like, it just doesn't seem like a, a thing where he's going to end up back with this class. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. He seemed like a kid who really wanted to come to Syracuse. Um, so however things shake out, you know, it'd be a very nice surprise. I just would bet on it. By it's, not, it's not how these things usually work. <laughs> no, generally not. Um, no. Uh, but, you know, you still have to dear white who is a massive offensive tackle from the Bronx. You still have Edward Hendricks, who is a pretty dynamic receiver from D.C. You still have Trillian Williams, who has maybe one of the best names in the recruiting class and is also a really good football player, um, one of the best players in New York, um, who are, I think, are the three four-star guys that you were referring to, yep. um, unless I'm missing someone else. I, I think still, even without Samson, which is a big loss, um, I think this is pretty clearly the best class that Syracuse has started to put together um, since probably since the recruiting websites were really a thing. Um, I'm sure there were classes like the 90s that were better when we were, you know, competing for four-star talent pretty consistently, but, you know, the internet isn't what it was. Um, we have 15 of our 18 guys are signed uh, according to 24-7, which is really nice. Uh, they are, you know, locked in. Um, I don't know uh, what the deal with the other three guys who all committed back in May are. I mean, I have no issues with them not signing. They didn't handle this however they feel. I just don't know that there's, like, any wavering or if they just, you know, this wasn't their plan, so that's fine. Hopefully they all make it. My um, one concern about it is just the running back. Is it the fact that two of them are running backs? Yeah, you'd like to you'd like to add to that position, considering we have a uh, a habit of moving running backs around. Right. Um, you'd like to bolster that position if possible. I hopefully you have you at least take one of them. I mean, hopefully at least one of them makes it. Um, the other concern is that they're both very different. Like Juar Jordan's kind of a smaller uh, guy who you know I could see wind up playing in the slot as well, kind of like a. Uh, uh, Irv Phillips when he got here, uh, Irv's a little bigger, but uh, or or a uh, uh, trying Sean, to think of Sean Riley, Sean Riley, similar size, also from Arizona, so that's kind of a natural uh, comparison. Um, a team Dixon, more of like your you know six feet two ten, like rock solid, more of your you know stand you know big running back. 
Um, and we know we, we would like to use both of those Thunder guys. Um, but yeah, hopefully they will stay. There's no, I don't think there's any real indication they aren't coming. It's just, you know, they're not signed. So you, you, you do worry, especially when so many people have signed already. Right. Um, Chance Amy was a nice surprise. Um, obviously, you know, he came over from Houston, but Houston's been recruiting as good or better than Syracuse for years now. Um, I don't know that that will be the case without uh, Tom Herman there. Probably not. Hopefully not. But um, it's still a school that, you know, can go and, and take uh, Power 5 level kids, especially from their backyard. So to beat out uh, Houston for a kid from Texas, and, and we actually picked up two Texas recruits in this class um, but with him and... Trey uh, Allison. Trey Allen. Trey Allison, who are both from Tyler. Both um, flips different from, schools. from AAC schools. Yes. Um, really interesting. Uh, just, I, I, I tweeted it out that day. I, I'm fairly certain this is like the first time. I said the first time we got two different, two kids from the same town in Texas. It's probably the first time we've gotten two commits from Texas in the same year. Um, at least in the last 10 or 15 years. I'd say 10 um, at least. Yeah, I'd have to dig into the Robinson era because I do feel we've like... We've gotten like a kid from Texas every three or four years, I feel like. Um, this year, obviously, getting two is, is really cool. And, and I would not mind digging into Texas a little bit. It's never going to be a huge thing. It's never going to be Florida. Um, but there are so many players in Texas. And I and feel all like of a them lot play of them, this offense. They all play a version of our offense. Like That's not to go on a total uh, tangent. Uh, even though that's what we're known for, so I don't know why I'm, I'm <laughs> camping, uh, couching this. Um, I'm very interested to see what Jimbo Fisher does because there aren't too many guys who are closer to like the true pro-style offense than Jimbo Fisher, and the entire state of Texas runs the spread at every level. Well, that was like, Texas' biggest is... problem before before they switched it up to Herman was that they didn't have – they weren't recruiting to what the talent base has. Yeah, and Strawn tried at the end. He he, he, he hired, poached uh, yeah. he poached the guys from our Bryles tree, and that you know if you know maybe if you give Strawn a couple more years, it would have worked out. Obviously, that didn't happen for for you know he you know he started too late to be honest. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, so Jimbo, I imagine you know Jimbo calls, calls his own plays. He's basically his own OC. Um, I don't think he's going to start running the spread. Um, and if he's going to succeed in Texas, he's going to have to recruit Texas guys. We just saw what happened with Charlie Strong trying to bring Florida guys to Texas. Uh, and obviously Strong wasn't making his whole class out of Florida guys, but even bringing, you know, I think his first class was like six or seven Florida kids. Right. And that did not go over well at the jump. And then like four of them didn't make it past a year. So not that, that might have just been an aberration. I think some of it was overblown. But Texas has its very, a very uh, distinct football culture. And right now, from the top down, it's the spread. Um, so it, it, that's inter- That's interesting. Going back to Syracuse things, um, yeah, uh, Dino Baber's offense is much closer to what uh, is wrong with Texas um, coming from the Art Bryles tree. Uh, so I, I'm totally cool trying to poach, you know, two or three guys from Texas every year. We're not going to do that many of them, but there are so many kids down there, and a lot of them are starting to go to other places. Like, you're seeing a lot of other schools come into Texas especially because the Longhorns have been down for so long, and I think that Herman's going to turn it around. They're, they're beating the soup up pretty badly tonight right now. Well, what so they did this the year recruiting-wise, like, I mean, I think oh, Texas they, they is... went crazy. They went crazy. They recruited, what was it, seven of the top ten uh, Texas recruits went to UT. Yeah, they have the number three class. Um, they, they are doing very well. They'll be um, fine. <laughs> I, I think Texas is going to do very well. I don't think you're going to beat out A&M for very many kids from there if you're not, like, in Oklahoma. And yeah. obviously Oklahoma does really well there, LSU... Goes in the Houston area. Um, who knows with Baylor? They're a work in progress. But you can Texas every, Tech is you, you a can out recruit Houston and SMU and Texas Tech. Like if you can out recruit them and you can get in the same conversations with a school like Baylor, maybe and that that depends on where the sanctions go from here if they happen or whatever. Um, Baylor actually put together a pretty good class this year, um, surprisingly. Um, I know one of our late quarterback uh, targets actually ended up going there. Um, but yeah, like even if we even if we just inhabited the same airspace as you know Houston, SMU, and Texas Tech from a recruiting standpoint down there, and grab two or three kids, like that still just lessens the amount of time that it takes for for the Orange to to, to get up and running. Because these Florida kids, while they understand speed and they're all very fast and they understand a high level of competition, uh, the system is really where where they need to move. Uh, Texas kids already have the speed. And already have the system, so technically um, you'd be able to get the thing off and running a lot faster. And that's why you've seen, you know, schools 
in and around the Texas area uh, lean heavily on that and be able to, um, you know, kind of get off and running fast than Syracuse has. I mean, you could look right to SMU and what Chad Morris did there in um, that quick turnaround. As, as how, you know, that, that works in practice, where he just said, we're only recruiting Texas kids. We're making sure that everybody knows the system right off the bat um, and going from there. And quarterback's an interesting spot for it because obviously that is the position where the system is is most uh, integral. Um, so getting a guy like Amy, even going back to uh, when we recruited Zach Allen, um, you know, that feels like, a, a, you know, 20 years ago now. <laughs> Uh, and it, it was a different system, right. but because quarterbacks, as we've talked about at length in this podcast, kind of tend to want to be in their own class. Like there aren't very many classes that take two or three. The only one that I think can think of Michigan State is three quarterback commits this year, which is interesting. I assume one of those, one of those does a bit moved because two of them are, are dual threat guys and one's a pro style guy, and they're pretty close to a pro style system. Or they're just uh, going to yeah, merge into get, one pesky player. Maybe knowing how MSU or is, or you're just you know, and you're, in your Michigan State, you haven't had very good quarterback play for a while. You're you know, you just bring some guys in and hope one one sticks. Right. Um, but most most classes have one. Maybe you take a second flyer quarterback. Very few take more than that. Um, so you can go take a guy like Chance Amy, who uh, out of Texas, uh, if he fits the system, and because you know Texas UT isn't going to take three quarterbacks in their own state. Texas A and M's not going to take three quarterbacks. Like those classes, especially those big schools, are almost always taking one, maybe two, if there's a weird situation. Um, so quarterbacks, you can to come from weird places. More often, we've seen it with Dungey, who's from Oregon. We saw it with Zach Allen. We got him from Texas. Obviously, he didn't make it. That was, you know, he was going to make it if Marone had stayed, or if uh, if we had hired Dave Hackett. Not to bring up, you know, four-year-old decisions. Um, so quarterbacks will, will move around a bit more and are generally a little more flexible to leaving their own areas. Like you see, SEC schools have gone to California for quarterbacks like crazy in the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm all for this strategy. Especially if you're if you're focus firing in a couple guys, and you're not wasting too many resources on on guys you can't get, and it doesn't seem like that's the case here because you know how many Texas guys did we actually realistically go after? I don't think it was very many, and we got two of them like last you know in the last uh, couple weeks of this uh, this early part of the recruitment. So I'm pretty happy with it. And then you know we you obviously build up from from your normal places. You know you look at the class breakdown, sits from Florida, which I'm all for, three from New York, and I think all three are really nice players, which. You know, sometimes you stretch for New York kids. I, this, I think this the staff is pretty explicitly said they're not going to do that. Oh yeah, which I'm. They just have they just have guys that just fit. Which they is... shouldn't. Yeah, you know, you you'd like to see more than one Jersey and Pennsylvania kid, but you know, it didn't work out this year. But overall, like Arizona's been bigger. California has. Uh, I don't think there's a California kid this year, but we've seen more of that in recent years, and we'll probably end up grabbing a JUCO or two, and that's where a lot of those guys come from. So uh, I, I'm all for the breakdown, and if you want to throw a Texas kid or two every year, I'm I'm very happy with that. Yeah, same. Um, so I guess kind of to wrap us up here, um, looking at recruiting going forward, um, we've got a few spots left. I think defensive line is the obvious one, especially when we missed out on like our one major target at the end um, on defensive line. So right now we have zero defensive linemen committed. Um, it'd be really nice to get two, potentially. And I think you know, one of those is going to have to be a Juco, um, but I haven't really looked at, you know, I think uh, what counterparts seems to be the name that's popping up a lot of places. Um, defensive end um, right now he seems like he's a hard southern mess lean um, but we'll see I know he has some interest in Syracuse um, and UConn uh, with some other schools he's a three-star guy um, despite you know the offers not really looking like a three-star caliber necessarily um, but yeah I, I think if we can add him and a Juco I think I'd be pretty happy um, without Samson I think it'd be nice to add another offensive lineman if we can um, but I don't want to force it um, and then it seems like Kevin Johnson Jr. might be another scholarship. Really not sure how that's going to work. Um, that's it's very unclear if he's a scholarship or a, or a preferred walk-on. Um, yeah. I'm fine with either one. I don't think they would have given him a scholarship at this point if they didn't think he was worth it. But considering he hasn't signed, uh, as far as we can tell, or been announced, I think there's a very good chance he's a preferred walk-on, which considering he has a couple of... Uh, he had a Florida offer, right? Like, and Colorado. That. And Colorado, like... You know, uh, I'm not going to, like, kill, you know, to take a, a, a legacy player from a very good former Syracuse player um, from, IM, he's from IMG, right? Yeah. He's an IMG kid. And we already have two IMG yeah. kids, so. Yeah, get, that's another, mine IMG Academy, um, as much as you can. Like, that. that's, they, they put out, like, 40 players a year. Just go get a couple of them. Um, they're all in the same place. Makes it easier to recruit. 
yeah, so we'll we'll find out more about what his situation is, um, whether he's a scholarship player or a preferred walk-on. Uh, if he's a preferred walk-on, it sounds like a slam dunk. If he's a scholarship player, it's a little weird to take the five receivers in the same class, but, you know, find out what the deal is here. Right. Um, like you said, defensive line is clearly the ish, the, the biggest need. Um, luckily, I, I mean, not luckily, but that's a place where you find a lot of junior college recruits, um, especially across the board, but Syracuse has often gone there for, for JUCO kids, and I think you can kind of plug and play defensive linemen more easily than other spots. Um, so hopefully those guys come off the board later as is. So hopefully those are guys being targeted. Um, and then we already discussed the running backs. So hopefully we can lock at least one of those guys, if not both, up. Um, other places, like I think we're, we're just a decently, you know, shaped class aside from the, the big hole at defensive line. I, I, I like the breakdown overall. Yeah, I said defensive line is kind of the key here. I think um, you're probably going to see like a second wave of names pop up. I don't know if we're really going to be in the market for any like, you know, blue chip guys, but we rarely are on on the defensive line. Um, if we can get a three star guy like a Parks or someone else, um, I'd love to honestly at this point plug in another JUCO. I know it kind of seems like overkill. Um, since we have so many already between Alton Robinson, uh, Shaq Grossvenor, uh, and uh, Brandon Berry. Like, we do have three um, already, but without Caden Samuels, I, I think you really need somebody who can kind of jump right in um, and, and help with the learning curve. We saw what happened when, you know, Kendall Coleman um, and Josh Black were both out last year. Uh, Kenny Ruff really hasn't gotten a ton of time uh, to really show his stuff at, uh, at defensive tackle. Um, we just probably want to see a little bit more from him. I just think, you know, having that depth and experience uh, up in front of us would be preferred um, over, again, having, like, you know, a couple defensive, a couple freshman defensive linemen. We have, I'd say we have a pretty good collection of those guys already, um, even if we haven't seen them in action yet. Yeah, the numbers game makes a ton of necessitates uh, that we go find some help with defensive line. Like, there have been so many injuries and so many guys have left the program or have gotten uh, medically uh, disqualified, like you, you, we just need bodies there. You can't go in with the, the depth that we have this year. I think that was a, a pretty big problem for us. And the guys who played played pretty well, but um, definitely need to shore that up. Totally. And yeah, I, I I have full faith in this staff. I think after the class that they put together so far and the flips they were able to make last minute, um, I, I think that there's a lot to like. So I'm very hopeful. I, I think that February will be interesting because in the time leading up, there'll be a little less... Um, you know, buzz than there normally is. I think we'll see. I think guys who are shored up, and especially at a place like Syracuse, are going to be shored up, like, behind the scenes quietly, um, and then you'll see the announcement on signing day. But um, I, I, I have full faith that, that this this class is going gonna, is gonna to be something, even if it ends up falling a little bit outside the top 50. Um, and, you know, some Dino detractors will definitely focus in on that. It's worth more focusing in on the quality of player, where they're from, and the quality of offers that a lot of these guys have. It's also not a huge class, so it's not, um, you know, the rankings are, are very much uh, reflective of how many players are in the class. And right now, it's eight, at 18 guys, which isn't, like, tiny, but, you know, it's not a, it's not a huge recruiting class. So, um, in terms of, like, per capita, this is even a, an even better class than, than like, what, 40 sits in the country that it sits at now. Yeah. So, it's, you, you got to look. You can dissect the numbers all you want, but once you get past the top 50, 60 classes, um, it's really going to be defined by how the players perform once they're at, you know, at school and on campus. And I, I think that there's definitely a reason to be, be hopeful about a lot of these guys. And, and Cruiser Crapshoot, I feel like we, we've done enough to, to really do our homework on these guys and, and bring in players over the last few years now um, that are going to help make this program better. Um, not just, you know, flash in the pan, though, you know, in, in the long run. I think that's what, what Babers has really been focusing on building, and, and I think these recruiting classes are indicative of that. For sure. And hopefully my statement about Texas beating up Mizzou uh, doesn't look really stupid, just Mizzou <laughs> is now only down eight. And uh, Tom Herman is doing some mystifying things with his quarterback position. Never doubt Mizzou and their ability to score points, Dan. Yes, the immortal Drew Locke is... is uh, could come back here and, and and do something. Isn't he still the nation's apparently rides off in the sunset? The nation's leader in touchdown passes. He's at forty three. He might. He, I know it's the SEC leader. I think he might be in the, the national leader. Yeah, I mean, that's... he also might be going to the NFL, which is a questionable decision. But I, I wouldn't. Do he that. basically came out and said, "Like I, I'm, I'm done a basis on who we hire as offensive coordinator." So uh, no, okay. no pressure, Barry Odom. Well, uh, I mean, like who? 
I'm trying to compare him to someone. Oh, I, I would compare him to like a, a Brad Kaya. Like a guy yeah, who probably didn't I, I need to that. jump, but does anyway. Yeah, I can see that. That that's not a bad comparison. That, that's probably he'd probably be like a fifth or sixth round guy. Right. Um, he's interesting. I don't know how he projects in the NFL, but um, if I were him, I I mean I'm not gonna ever blame anyone for going to get you know your NFL money as soon as you can. But I, I think he could probably use another year at Mizzou, putting up almost five thousand yards and also not and, in a stack you know, quarterback class. No, yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> you know, this year. Assuming everyone from that, obviously there are still questions about Rosen and Darnold, uh, who might both be uh, <laughs> avoiding the Browns, which Browns is hilarious. Um, yes, poor Lamar Jackson if he he winds up uh, falling to them. There's no way they're going to use Lamar Jackson correctly. Um, None. Yeah, this class could be pretty stacked, even if not. Like I'm assuming at least one of those two guys goes, plus Jackson, plus Baker Mayfield, plus uh Josh Allen's gonna go in the first round. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually I know how I feel about it. I don't think it's smart. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I would probably stay if I were him, but you know, he'll do him and more power to him. Alas. Um all right. I think that's a good place to stop. I feel like it was nice uh nice way to recap the last couple of weeks in a succinct format. Don't have to don't have to stuff everything in there. I'm happy to happy to send people into the holidays with this as you maybe commute safely to your new year's destination you can you can listen to us talk about syracuse sports for a bit yes stay safe everyone this weekend i would have time uh hopefully the new year brings uh happier things for syracuse athletics agreed agreed um that was dan i'm john thank you everybody for listening to troy noons and absolute podcast you can rate review subscribe on itunes on blog talk and go orange go orange up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.